Hi, I'm Siobhan Hunt and this is Kindling Conversation, a Kindling Kids radio podcast. Just a quick note before we get into the next episode. If you haven't already, I'd love you to rate and review Kindling Conversation wherever you get your podcasts or if you enjoy the episode, share it with your friends. All right, thank you and on with the show. Last week in Sydney's West, a young boy who was only 11 years old was found dead at the train station. It was a tragic incident. We found out that he was on the autism spectrum and had quite possibly wandered away from the respite care centre where he was being looked after while his parents were away. Now, when you saw that reported, you may have seen people referring to the young boy and saying he had run away. This has an implication that he was plotting his escape, that he knew what he was doing and he knew where he was going. Erica Gleason is an autism and behaviour specialist with Autism Swim. She joins us on the line to explain why this behaviour shouldn't be seen as running away or acting out. And in fact, it can be the opposite. Hi, Erica. How are you? Hi. Hi. Still, um, still dealing with the grief of this week, but doing okay, thanks. So when we talk about wandering... What does that mean with someone, a child, that's on the spectrum? Um, so wandering, or it's also referred to as elopement or absconding, absconding is um, when someone leaves the safety of a responsible person's care or a safe area. Um, it's actually what we call a behaviour of concern, and it's incredibly common with over 50% of individuals with ASD engaging in wandering behaviour. But it's also really common in other neurological conditions as well, such as dementia. That can be broken down even further to two different types of elopement or wandering. So one's bolting when there's rapid goal-directed movement or wandering, which is sort of moving around without a clear course or, or destination. And do we know why people do it? We do. Um, it happens for a wide variety of reasons, uh, but they all stem back to the differences we see in the ASD brain. We know that uh, about 84% of individuals with ASD experience anxiety um, and that they can be in a constant state of flight, fight or freeze. And so someone absconding um, could be an example of them being in flight mode. So it may happen on account of them uh, wanting to get away from something they find adverse it may be goal-orientated and that they are seeking something they want. It may happen as the individual is needing a certain type of interaction at that time. It may also be that they have difficulties with understanding distance and their body within space or even simply just the curiosity factor. So there are a huge um, range of reasons as to why it could happen and generally we would use what we call a functional analysis to ascertain what that function is and then we can address it um, accordingly through programmatic elements. Do you think it's damaging when the media uses expressions like running away? It is. Um, you, you, you sort of summed it up quite well in your intro in terms of the stigma that's associated with that. And it purely stems back to um, a lack of awareness and a lack of education. And it's not surprising because we know very few people know much about wandering. A lot of parents whose children are considered high risk don't even know that. Um, very few people have received any training. So um, it, it stems back to the the issue of people not really having a good understanding and, and therefore just perpetuating the, the stigmas that already exist. 
If you see a child that looks lost and you approach them, mm. is there a way of knowing whether they're just a lost child or whether they might, in fact, be on the autism spectrum? Um, not necessarily. I mean, there's obviously no visual cues or anything like that, but irrespective of, of the situation, they need support. So you would employ perhaps the same um, strategies regardless of whether they were neurotypical or um, or whether they had some additional needs. However, um, if they do have autism, obviously that those strategies might just look a little bit different. So let's say we start talking to them and the usual things you might do with a lost child aren't working. So you'd say, um, where have you come from? Who are your parents? Um, those sorts of questions. What might you do if they're not responding the way you would expect a neurotypical child to respond? Should we be calling the police? Should we? I mean, that's my first thought. If I had found a lost child, I'd want to call the police. But even doing something like that, I'm imagining if they're on the spectrum, there are ways of facilitating that experience for them so that it's not um, so scary and frightening. Yeah, and I think that's something we need to, to consider is they... Um and not familiar with their surroundings. They perhaps don't know where they are. They don't know who you are. So they probably are feeling fearful, but that can often manifest differently. So we may not see those typical signs of fear that we would in, in other children. Um, so calling the police is definitely something I, I would recommend, but I would try and do that quite subtly, just in the instance that does cause a little bit more distress. Um, we are we have just begun chatting with the police in terms of how we can collaborate on on the issue of wandering broadly speaking so hopefully there'll be some more structure around this moving forward i don't exactly know what that looks like yet but it may be creating individualized profiles of individuals who have um a high likelihood of, of wandering behavior or something like that um but the individual themselves may have great difficulty in communicating the answers to those questions, as, as you said. Um, so they actually may not have any verbal skills at all. So answering those questions is difficult. Um, if that's the case, I would just, again, subtly try and have a look if they've got any identification or, or tracking devices on their body. Um, it's not uncommon for kids with autism to have a label on their clothes, for instance, that has um, their name and phone number. Um, I guess the, the, the one take home from this is, is don't leave them. So maintain line of sight with them at all times, especially in terms of bodies of water such as rivers or, or lakes. It may be the case that the individual doesn't actually want you around them um, and that's completely fine. You can still do that. Uh, you can still maintain line of sight in a way that's not going to cause them any distress. You may need to also source some assistance from um bystanders if need be um, but I think they would be the top ones in terms of calling the police don't leave them and maintain a line of sight um, source bystanders if need be um, in terms of communicating with them if there are some um, some common communication methodologies there use the minimum amount of words as possible we know that individuals with autism can become inundated by too many words so keeping those words really those sentences really succinct and um, using the minimum amount of words is always recommended um, give them processing time so if you ask them a question and they don't answer back straight away that's not a time to fire the question at them again it can take up to one minute for individuals with autism to process 
auditory information. So just give them a bit of breathing space before you fire another question at them because what often happens is that these individuals don't respond. Somebody asks them the question again and then all of a sudden they're just in overload. There's just too many words being thrown at them and then we might see things like meltdowns. Um, it, I know it's easier said than done, but um, the, we we as, as adults need to remain as calm as possible even though the, the situation itself is quite um, quite stressful. Um, is, Erica, is there, I know this might sound like a bit of an ignorant question, but is there anything that we can do to bring them comfort? I know, of course, everyone is different, particularly on the spectrum, but just that thought of um, someone being far from home and feeling lost and scared, um, just want to make them feel okay. Is there, have mm. you got any advice on that front? Yeah, I guess um, a lot can be said for the tone of voice and our, and our body language, and I think they're often things that are really overlooked. But the more stressful the situation, the calmer your voice has to be. So um, that's something that I would employ through some you know, basic active listening and that verbal reassurance, but through the minimum amount of words as possible. So it's okay, you know, um, we're going we're gonna to find where you live soon or whatever the terminology is that you use, just doing that in a really calm, calm way. Um, what might also be useful is having a look to see if there's anything on their person that might indicate to you what their interests are. Um, for many of these individuals, they have very strong interests. And let's just say, for instance, um, you come across a little boy that's wearing Thomas the Tank Engine socks, for instance. That gives you some sort of common ground to employ. So you could start tapping into that and it sort of serves as a little bit of a distraction or a redirection, um, but also will help you build some rapport and some trust with that individual because you've got that common ground. Erica, you've given us a lot of food for thought there. Thank you so much for speaking with us. No worries. Thanks so much for your interest. That's Erica Gleeson. She's the founder of Autism Swim and Senior Behaviour Specialist. There's a lot in there, as I said, for all of us. And um, all I can say is that I'm thinking of those parents and the place where that young boy was staying. So um, my thoughts are with them. And let's hope that this never happens again. 